between the two of them and what makes a church member before we take in some new members tonight. 1 Peter chapter 3. I believe and fully in the existence of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And I believe completely and fully that He's as operational today as He ever was. Amen. And I believe fully and completely that He opens to us the Word of God and shows us things in it that we otherwise could and would miss. First right. Peter 3.21 is one of those verses, I hope that no matter what might happen, you would always remember being one of the chief verses of the New Testament about the doctrine of baptism. Amen. Don't forget 1 Peter 3.21. Right. And I read to you in, verse, in that verse, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me briefly remind you that the third word in that verse is figure. Amen. And so when the verse says that baptism doth also now save us, it must be a figurative salvation. Amen. Crucial, crucial point of doctrine. The minute we miss that point of doctrine and we believe that baptism saves a person from their sins, you then rush to infant baptism because all those mothers don't want their young children, especially in the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, let's call them what they were, forgive me, the Dark Ages, when so many died in infancy, they wanted those children to go to heaven. So they come up with infant baptism, and it all springs from the error that baptism saves. The text tells us that baptism saves, but it tells us that it's a figure, so it only saves figuratively. It shows a picture of how we were saved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First Peter 3.21. That's why we have a burial and a resurrection. That is why we were Baptists, why we are Baptists. We're Baptists, are Baptists, and will be Baptists until Jesus comes for us because He's a Baptist. Amen. How do we know He's a Baptist? I've taught you that before years ago. Because He was baptized by John the Baptist. There's no question about that. He went to John the Baptist to get baptized. He didn't go to Mike the Lutheran or Paul the Presbyterian. He went to John the Baptist. Amen. Don't ever be ashamed. It's not in our name, but we are Baptists. And last Saturday evening, eight days ago, you witnessed ten of our children that wanted to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was a glorious night, and we ought to be thankful. Last evening, resurrecting an old practice of mine that I would do from time to time, I took my three younger children and visited St. Mary's downtown for the six o'clock mass. The reason I went there is to remind myself of why I'm thankful for Jesus Christ and for the doctrine which is according to godliness. Right. On the way there, I explained to them what happened to the Roman Catholic Church. Do you know that they, the Roman Catholic Church was once one assembly, our size, in the city of Rome? It had one pastor who was also known in the New Testament as a bishop. And that over time that church departed from the epistle that was written to them. The epistle to the Romans. It departed from that epistle. And because it was the seat of the authority in the Roman Empire, that church took on greater importance than any other church in that part of the world. And so that bishop took on more authority than any of the other bishops. And when that government fled the city of Rome and went across the Mediterranean Sea to Constantinople and left a power vacuum in that city, the bishop of the Church of Rome took and filled that power vacuum. And you have the Roman Catholic Church, which is the resurrected beast of the book of Revelation, which is the Roman Empire revived in the form of the Roman Catholic Church. Right. And they've corrupted the doctrine of baptism and of the Lord's Supper, and I wanted my children to see it. I wanted them to see a cracker turned into God, supposedly. To see that heresy and to know that it came from a church that did not hold to the Word of God. And that's why we stress the Bible so much. But last night, in a Catholic Mass, it's a 60-minute programmed charade. It lasts 60 minutes to the minute. 
very well scheduled and laid out. They have a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the apostolic epistles of the New, and a reading from the Gospels. The reading of the apostolic epistle was 1 Peter 3.21. I was already going to tell, speak a few minutes about 1 Peter 3.21 tonight, but they're using one of these newfangled versions, which is not a newfangled version, but an old-fangled version of that church that says that baptism is the appeal for a good conscience. Now, if you'll notice, in the parentheses in this verse, it tells us how it doesn't save us. It says it does not put away the filth of the flesh. I've been preaching quite a bit to you the last few weeks about the filth of the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ died to put it away, but we're to put it off. But baptism doesn't get rid of it. This text tells us that. It tells us that baptism is the answer of a good conscience. Jesus gives us the good conscience. We have a good conscience because we're no longer guilty. We're no longer under the penalty of sin. We've been freed by His death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, we have a good conscience. And it's in baptism that we get to answer God and thank Him and bless Him for how He saved us by showing a picture of that salvation. They read the text, and all modern versions say the same thing in this verse, that baptism is the appeal for a good conscience because they believe that it does save. So they have altered the words inside those parentheses to make it an appeal for a good conscience. We deny that. Baptism is still simply a picture, a figure of what Jesus Christ did for us. It is an individual ordinance. When a person is baptized, it is something you do between yourself and the Lord God. You are answering Him with your good conscience. How many were there at the oasis in the middle of the desert as you go down from Jerusalem toward Gaza? Two. It's not a congregational ordinance. It's an individual ordinance. And that Ethiopian eunuch wanted to give God the answer of a good conscience. And he, I mean, he wanted to. As soon as he saw some palm trees popping up on the horizon, he said, See, here's some water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he was baptized. That's all it took. They didn't have to write away to a church. There were no letters of recommendation. Nothing. That unit got to give the answer of a good conscience toward God, and his faith was tried by the administrator that God sent his way by the operation of the Spirit, Philip. Amen. And as soon as it was over, the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing, and Philip was found preaching elsewhere to baptize some more. It is an individual ordinance. Now, membership is not like that. Member Church membership. All of you ten... Church membership is not like baptism. I could have baptized any one of you ten anywhere, just the two of us. We could have found a pool in the middle of the night. We could have filled a bathtub full enough to lay you down in it and submerge you, and it would be a baptism. The Lord didn't tell us where it has to be. How, just get them underwater, where there's much water, and show a burial and a resurrection. It's an individual ordinance. But church membership requires everyone else agreeing with you that they want you to be a member of their body. And it's your commitments and their consent that make a church member. Church membership means that you want to join a body of believers and that you promise to keep the duties of the gospel toward them and they consent to allow you to become part of them based on your testimony and that they'll keep those commitments toward you. It's a congregational ordinance. Baptism does not make a church member. This is an important doctrine of distinction of our church. We do not believe that baptism is the door to the church. That is an expression used by the Roman Catholic Church and by others, including Baptists. The eunuch was not made a member of any church. He was a Gentile... But he wasn't merely a Gentile, was he? He was a black Gentile, wasn't he? Was he just an ordinary black Gentile? He was a eunuch black Gentile. 
You say, how is that important? Go back and read the book of Deuteronomy and see how many generations were kept out of the uh, temple of the Lord based on him being a eunuch. He went on his way rejoicing. He didn't run back to Jerusalem to sign in as a new church member that they didn't know anything about. He went on his way rejoicing. It is a heresy of Rome to believe that when you baptize someone, it makes them a member of the church. How do you think they pad their numbers up to one billion members? Because they get a bunch of babies in Catholic hospitals around the world and pour a little water in the form of a cross on their forehead. And hope that someday 3% of them might come back for confirmation. It is a distinguishing doctrine of our church that those two things are very different. That's why we waited a week. I wanted to remind you of this. We want to hold to the apostolic doctrine, and that is that there is an effort made to join a church, and that effort can be rebuffed whether you've been baptized, if you, even if you've been baptized. Right. In Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul tried to join the church at Jerusalem. It says that he essayed to join them. That means he tried. And the church wouldn't let him. There's a, a wonderful example in the Bible. He tried to join. They wouldn't let him. But he's already been baptized. Because that mutual agreement and consent and commitment wasn't there. They didn't trust him yet. They didn't believe he'd been converted. It was too good to be true. It was too bad to have him there. Whatever they were thinking. There were members in that church that had dead relatives because of him. Relatives in prison because of him. Now we come to church membership, and let's look at Acts chapter 2 and see that it is by congregational consent. I have seen books numbering in the couple of hundred pages on baptism that will not deal with 1 Peter 3.21. There's good reason they don't want to deal with it. But I hope that you see that as gross unfairness in the Word of God to deal with the subject of baptism and not deal with 1 Peter 3.21. Acts chapter 2. Peter has preached a glorious sermon. Aren't you thankful that the Lord restored his soul? Amen. He preached a glorious sermon. He reasoned through some of the Psalms, showing that it couldn't have been David David was talking about. It had to be David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that that Lord Jesus Christ was now exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the gift of the Holy Ghost, he was pouring it out on his church. Glorious message. And he told them to repent and be be baptized. In verse 38, verse 41, we read this. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, how many members did they have before that moment? 120. They added 3,000. So that's a bigger increase than we're going to get tonight. That's a huge increase. And you say, but were all of them sincere? Read this. This is when God pours out His Spirit. Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. That is a church right. that's, go- that's undergoing Holy Ghost revival and blessing. Amen. It leaps from 120 to 3,120 in a day. And if you'll read just a few verses longer, there's thousands more added. And it was multiplied, and the Word of God grew mightily, as we read this morning. I have spoken to you recently about the glory of the church. You are going, we, we, you and me, are going to encounter individuals who say that they love Jesus Christ, they love the Word of God, and that they are Christians. But Christians worship God in assemblies. If they're not interested in submitting themselves to the authority of a congregation and the authority of a pastor, 
and committing themselves to the duties of the New Testament of church members, they're not speaking the truth. They're deceiving themselves. A true Christian acts like this. A Christian that is being operated upon by the Holy Ghost and moved by the Holy Ghost acts like this. All things common. Loving the brethren. Steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Not in their own doctrine, but in the apostles'. And here we have a glorious church, and it's described for us by the Word of God. Church membership is important. It's important, and I taught a whole sermon to you. I can't re-preach it, remember? We've got to compound the effect of sermons. I can't. I want to. But I can't. Ecclesiastes gives us an Old Testament rule that two are better than one. And four reasons why, in a congregation, we have more strength and help To serve Christ better. You say, I could do it better on my own. You're deceived. You're deluded. Two are better than one. Three are better than two. And when we're brought together with the Holy Ghost being the bond between us and among us, there's great profit that can be had. If you haven't received that profit, it's because your heart or your actions aren't participating in the body like it should. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, the church is said to be His body, which is the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Amazing statement. This body is the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. all We're going to add to that body tonight. Church membership is important, and it didn't happen by baptism. So we have ten baptized believers that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that He died on the cross for their sins, and they have the hope of eternal life but they want to be part of a New Testament church so that they can have the Lord's Supper and commune with other believers. What makes a church member? Some of you with great memories will remember that I used to ask about six questions. And those six questions are found in the New Testament of duties that we have toward the body. So when a person wants to join, we don't let them get away by saying, I want a home in the church. I don't know what those words mean. But I know what these words mean. The first thing is they need to be of one faith and mind with us. And you'll notice in Acts chapter 2 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So the first question I'm going to ask the ten that I'll have up here shortly is do they believe and are they of one mind with this church around its doctrine? As far as they know, do they believe and are they willing to stand for and defend what we believe? right here in Acts chapter 2 and in other places. A church is to be of one mind and one judgment and one voice about Bible doctrine. Then I'm going to ask, are you willing to submit yourself to this body? Because Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. When you join a body, you are lowering yourself to be part of that body. It's not to serve you. You're going to serve it, but you're submitting yourself to it. And we all are to submit and serve one another. That's the New Testament doctrine. Philippians chapter 2 would tell us that we're to esteem the things of others more important than our own things. And we're to look upon others rather than looking upon ourselves. We submit ourselves to the body to become part of it. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told that we're to have Christian love and charity toward one another in the bond of peace. And so the third question is going to be, and just as I used to, I'm going to say, look at these 40 members out there. Are you willing to love them? Love them with the Bible doctrine of Christian charity in peace. Amen. That's what it means to be a church member. That's the, the third question. The fourth question I'm going to ask is, will, can you commune with a clear conscience with these 40 around the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are, Are you of one, are you of common union with the existing members of this church around the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Because the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the body and, and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Amen. The fourth question is going to be, 
Are you willing to submit to the judgment of this congregation in matters for which they are responsible? See, it's not practiced in most churches. It's not even taught in most churches. So why even ask a person joining the church? So no one does. But that's part of being a church member. If there is a matter that arises between you and a brother, and the church makes a decision to settle that matter, are you willing to abide by the judgment of that church? Are you entering this relationship knowledgeable that that could happen? Brethren, isn't it wonderful to provide things open and honest in the sight of all men? To hide nothing? We have no secrets whatsoever. This is what church membership means to us. And the last question will be, are you able to submit to the judgment of the pastor in the areas for which he's responsible? And it's been been precious to have several of these that want to join here asking with a plea in their face and their eyes, can they sign the covenant? But the covenant was for the 40 members that we had at that point in time for that particular transaction. And that will be covered with the question, are you able and willing to submit to the pastor of this church in the areas for which he's responsible? Those are six bonds. Those bonds make a church member. They make a church member from the 40 that exist right now. I hope we always remember them. That's what holds us together. By the Spirit of God moving us to keep those relationships with each other. Right. I'd like to see the ten applicants to the Church of Greenville come and stand up here to my right. And I don't know what, op- what options we have with the camera, but someone might want to pick up this line of applicants. I think they're sorting themselves out by age. <laughs> Is this a good day in the Greenville Church? Amen. I just want to stand and look at them. As parents and grandparents, our hearts ought to be overflowing with joy at children and grandchildren that want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and commit. And this is a little harder than it is in many churches. You could get baptized and you're automatically made a member and you don't have to answer very many questions, but there's some responsibility and being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. And though they're young, they're able to keep those duties if we'll help them. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Do you, ten, believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Son of God? Still? Yes. Yes. I took the time at their baptisms to ask every one of them individually so that you could hear. And I, and I talked to every one of them individually before they ever made it there to make sure they understood and that they did believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Son of God. That includes our whole doctrine of sonship and everything once they're old enough to understand that. Amen. Do you ten believe that your sins have been paid for by the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes, sir. So that you have a hope of eternal life? Yes, sir. That, that your name is written in the book of life? Yes. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you six questions now about this body right here. There's 39 members out there and there's one standing right here. That, that's the 40 of us. How about you becoming part of us? The Lord Jesus Christ built His church upon the statement that He is the Son of God. And that church has existed under various names and in various places for 2,000 years, mostly hunted and persecuted and despised by the world. And you tonight tonight are telling me that you want to join a despised group of people that are known as the Church of Jesus Christ in the city of Greenville? Sir, yes. Amen. Moses chose to forsake the riches in Egypt and the pleasures of sin for a season that he might take upon him the reproach of Christ. I just want you to know that you are in the line of the martyrs who gave their lives for the faith that you just professed. We have it easy in our nation for which we're very thankful. And yet I hope your hearts are as sincere as theirs who gave their lives for the truth. Do you ten 
as far as you know, believe and are willing to defend what this church believes? Yes. Yes. Can you submit to these 40 people to become a member of this body? Can you serve them and lower yourself to be one member among 50? Yes. Yes. Now you look out there and remember who makes up the members of this church. Can you love these 40 people and serve them in Christian charity and be at peace among ourselves? Can you commune with us tonight around the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in common union with us? That he is our only hope of salvation? Can you do that? Do you want to do that? So that you are of common union with us, that Jesus Christ is the foundation of this church, the head of this church, and and all of this church, and the focus of this church and our only hope of eternal life. And you can commune with that tonight. Yes. There may arise in the future cases where the Bible has not dealt with an issue. It might be between two of you. It might be between one of you and one of them. And the church will have to make a decision, a matter of judgment. Are you willing to submit? And Do you trust these 40 people to make a judgment in a matter like that for you? Yes. Are you willing to submit to the pastor that this church has in the matters that pertain to him? Yes. Does anyone here know of any reason why any one of these should not be a member of our assembly? Would the 40 members of this assembly show your unanimous 100% total agreement that these 10 ought to become members with us tonight by standing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, I come to thee in his name and with his authority. And I call upon thee, O Lord, according to the testimony of Scripture, that by your Holy Spirit, to add these ten to our number, based upon our mutual commitments and consent that you have just witnessed. O Lord, have mercy upon us. We thank Thee for Thy kindness toward us, that You have preserved us a seed in the earth that loves Thee, wants to follow Thee, and professes the doctrine that You have taught us. We praise Your holy name for this great mercy that You've shown us. Heavenly Father, I pray that by Your Spirit You will bless all 50 of us to love one another, to serve one another, to submit to one another, to care for one another, to exhort, to warn, to rebuke, to comfort, to support where it is needed. May these ten become (coughs) precious stones in the temple that you dwell in here in this city of Greenville. Heavenly Father, unite them to us. Let them know that they are one with us. Help us to help them, and Lord, bless them to help and to serve us. And may we together serving one another in love and peace. Follow after holiness and righteousness until your Son, Jesus Christ, comes for us. Heavenly Father, this we ask, according to your word and by your Spirit, for you to grant us this blessing now through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We want to have the right hand of fellowship and welcome them into our number. If you can pull away from that wall just a little bit, there's room here to pass through. We all want to stand. And Brother Eric, I would like us to sing, first of all, I believe it's number 360 in the new hymnal. The new hymnal, 360, which should be Amazing Grace.
<coughs> or am I wrong? Stand with me, please. 460. What is blessed be the tie? Is it 459? 359. That's called a transposition. We will sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, and when we run out of verses with that song, we'll sing Blessed Be the Tie. We'll begin with 460, we'll follow up with 359. And make your way from the front here on this side, then the front there, then the row two, and make your way up and, and welcome these ten into our number. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that Before long. 
Amen. 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 Philippians chapter 4. I hope that we all want to be pure. That a prayer of ours this week as we examine ourselves will be for the Lord to help us be pure for Him. And that we will take these ten as good church brethren and help them be pure. That's how it's supposed to work. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, the apostle has already listed several of his helpers. And he says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Would you rather have the Apostle Paul greeting you or have your names in the book of life? I hope your name in the book of life is something meaningful to you tonight. Look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. My fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. I read in Luke chapter 10 verse 17. And the 70, that is the 70 disciples of the Lord Jesus that he had sent out two by two, returned again with joy, Luke 10, 17, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. Twenty years ago, I read this same passage to a very abbreviated form of this congregation in 1980. And I want to read to you verses 11 through 15 of Revelation 20. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The future. This is an event that is not discussed, talked about in it by our media or anyone on the street. But this is certainly going to happen. There will be a great white throne and Jesus Christ will sit as judge with a face that is not happy, as a child would say but a face that is angry because he is sitting in judgment, and the earth and the heaven will flee away from him. And the books will be opened, and the books will show us all to be sinners. All of us. And we will know what we deserve without any doubt, and there will be no hiding from the face of this judge. But another book is going to be opened, brethren. And it's what we're doing here tonight. And your name is going to be read before all the angelic host and all the men that the sea gave up and that death and hell delivered up to stand before God. Your name will be read from the book of life. Is that amazing? That is unbelievable. But it's believable because it's in the word of God. Right. It's beyond all human comprehension, and it is beyond angelic comprehension. That's why the desire to look into these things, because there's a book written that has the names of sinful men, but no angels. And they'll all witness the Lord Jesus Christ having books opened, 
The books will show us to be what we are, naked and destitute and deserving of eternal torment. But another book will be opened. And Jesus Christ will say, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You're mine. I have loved you with an everlasting love from before the foundation of the world when I wrote your name in my book of life before Adam was even created. Tonight, as we sing a few more hymns about the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, I want you to consider that there's a day coming in the which, whether you passed a test at school, whether you got a promotion on the job or not, whether you were able to afford that third car or not, whatever is bothering your little mind right now, or my little mind, there's an event coming that is so glorious and so immense in its proportion. How do I describe it but read the words and let the Holy Spirit try to convince you of its immensity? Lucifer himself will have to hear your name. No matter what he's done to you, In this life, no matter what his demons have tempted you to do, your sins will have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you will be judged perfectly righteous in the sight of a perfectly holy God. And your name will be read. I cannot wait. And brethren, the Apostle Paul knew those whose names were there. And if we all strive together for the hope of the gospel in this assembly, we can know that our names are there. God did not leave us to be guessing and doubting and wondering for the rest of our lives. He wants us to prove it to Him and to us and to make our calling and election sure. But by doing the things contained in Scripture, which ought to be the joy of our souls, we can know whom we have believed. And we can be persuaded that He's able to keep those things we've committed unto Him against that day. And as long as they're unto Him, you and I are safe. Amen. Your name will be read from the book of life where it was written before the world began. Your name. You say, how did he know my name? He had you inscribed in the palms of his hands before you were born, and he knows the number of hairs on your head. Your name is not difficult. He knows you better than you know you. He loves you more than you love you. He's loved you to make you righteous. You love yourself enough to make yourselves unrighteous. He loves you perfectly and has from the foundation of the world, and he's promised eternal life. The most glorious moment when Jesus Christ will be lifted up the highest, and you will love his death in that day. But we can give him glory tonight. We can show his death till he comes. And brethren, if we do it tonight with a sincere soul and a sincere heart, we can know that in that day, our names will be found, certainly, and will will be welcomed into his presence with everlasting joy. Now unto him that is able, to what? To keep you from falling, and to what? To present you, what? Faultless. Faultless, spotless before the presence of his glory. Is this his glory? The earth and the heaven fleeing away from him? And how will you be presented when your name is found? Faultless! I find him faultless! Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord! The angels will look in wonder and amazement as a sinner is welcomed in to eternity in the presence of God covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ because he died for us. We shall see the torment of the wicked and the torment of the devil and his angels for sin. We shall know that we deserve that same torment. But we shall know that in perfect justice, a perfect price was paid because of his death for us. When we consider the cross of Christ... I preached to you a few months ago that I see, and I just trust the Spirit of God for making this very real to me, I see his physical sufferings, 
I see his emotional and non-physical sufferings. I see the conflict that he had with the devil and his angels. And I see the suffering that he took when God the Father turned his back on him. Do you see those four things clearly? The suffering he took in his body on the cross. He was forsaken by his friends, denied by his closest, betrayed by one of his closest. And he had the demons of hell doing all they could to undermine his soul and cause him to give up and to cry out for help. And he had God, his father, turn his back on him and for the first time ever in his life and only, never again, will he ever experience guilt and shame and condemnation under our sins. I hope you see that all. He did all of that so that no physical suffering for us, no emotional suffering for us. The devil and his angels can do nothing to us. And God the Father will never be separated from us because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen. And our names will be read from the book of life. You ten that joined tonight, you've already heard that. I've already told you that. I hope you remember that. And as we sing some hymns now, in just a moment, and as we partake of these elements, I want you to be considering that Jesus Christ of Nazareth came into this world and died a horrible death on the cross so that we could be saved and our names in the book of life would have value paid for by him so that we would be ushered into eternal life. The Bible tells us that we observe this to show his death till he comes. Jesus Christ is coming back. Nothing else matters. What are you going to tell me matters? What? Nothing matters compared to Jesus Christ coming back. It ought to be the hope that motivates us and drives our lives. That Jesus is coming. Will we be found spotless practically before him? Will we have our sins confessed, examining ourselves and seeking him with a whole heart? We practice closed communion. Those of you ten that have joined us know that in the past you didn't commune with us because only members commune in the Church of Greenville. But now you're members with us. I want to tell you something. Over there in 1 Corinthians 11, and you can turn there in your Bibles, it says that we're not supposed to take of this supper unworthily. In reading, you need to understand some grammar. The Bible is not a difficult book. But it says in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Unworthily is an adverb. Unworthily is an adverb modifying our eating and our drinking. What it is saying is if we partake of this supper, drink the wine and eat the bread unworthily, that is, in a way not fitting the Lord Jesus Christ with unconfessed sin because we haven't examined ourselves and judged ourselves, we will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. May I remind you what happened to a city of 1.1 million people within its walls in 70 A.D. because they were guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And as we read this morning, there were many that were weak, sickly, and many slept in the church at Corinth. We are unworthy in and of ourselves. We're sinners that deserve hell. So we are not worthy in and of ourselves to partake or to do anything with his body. But he's made us worthy by his sacrifice. But it is our duty to partake worthily. It is our duty to partake in a way that's pleasing to him. He's made us worthy. He's made us his sons and his daughters. But we can be disobedient sons and daughters, have profane things in our lives, and thus partake of it in an unworthy way. I hope that this morning's preaching will stay with you for a long time. It ought to be part of our lives to examine ourselves for him.
He is going to own us before the universe. Can we own him each day for the rest of our lives and ask him to search us and to know us that we might be pure before him? Amen. We're going to sing several hymns now that were selected by members of this congregation. Brother Eric, to write up here in a card. And then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper.